Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and i am still flying high from the united soccer coaches convention in anaheim media row was outstanding brandon milburn and his crew did an amazing job and I was able to talk to amazing people. Three of them are featured on today's show. We begin with Jerice Cologne, the Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, the nation's only nonprofit organization committed to ending all forms of abuse in sport. Jerice Cologne is back and she is outstanding. Then we meet Chris Busey. Should be calling him Dr. Chris Busey because he has his PhD. Next time I will. He is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Community Impact for the United Soccer Leagues, the USL. Dr. Chris Busey, what a story. Had leukemia as a child. As a child when he was eight. In full remission, he's a miracle. And he's doing miraculous work, quite frankly, with the USL. It was great to get him on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Dr. Chris Busey, VP, DEI, and Community Impact for the United Soccer Leagues. And then my last guest is also a doctor, and he didn't let me know. I guess I should have known. Dr. Ash Allenson, the Assistant Professor of Instruction and Coaching Education at my alma mater, Ohio University. Of course, the outgoing president for United Soccer Coaches, Dr. Dave Carr. He was front and center at the convention, so it was great to get Ash Allenson on. He loves Athens, Ohio, married a gal from Athens who actually was a teacher or an aide for Joe Burrow. Ash Allenson then also helped Aaron Rodgers, the coach of the OU women's soccer team that won their first ever MAC championship and went to the NCAA tournament. He's on the show and he also is fantastic. Jerice Cologne, Dr. Chris Busey, and Dr. Ash Allenson. That's our show after we hear from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linke. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Amazing evergreen material as part of the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, California. So great to be around special people doing great things. And that's no difference with our next guest, who we spoke to last year at the convention. And we're going to run it back. We're talking about Jarese Colon, who's the CEO for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Champion Respect and Abuse. You can learn more by going to uscenterforsafesport.org. Jaris, really enjoyed meeting you last year. I definitely want to thank Hillary for bringing us back together as well. She does such an amazing job, and I know she doesn't love the shout-outs, <laughs> but I think she deserves it. I, th I hope the, you agree with that. But, Jaris, great to be with you again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Last year was such a blast, so I'm just glad that we were able to do it again. Well, you're making a difference, and we we hear about it, we see it, we know there's abuse out there. I got to tell you, though, I feel like knowing that you're out there, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Champion Respect, End Abuse, I feel like you're making a difference. I feel like there's less abuse. Maybe I'm wrong, but tell me you feel like you're making a difference, too. I hope so. Right. I feel it. I think my team feels it. Um, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting in this space because, you know, a lot of times you hear about all the bad things, right? But what people don't hear about are all of the, the good things that come out of having an organization like this being part of the sports world. And I think one of the biggest things is that people are finally able to make reports of abuse. Um, but not only that, they can also make reports of policy violations and things that are not quite abuse but could almost get there. And so for us to see reports of um, near misses or uh, policy violations or things that are just a little bit off, to me, that's like a success story because it means that people are recognizing things before that happen, and that means that abuse will ultimately go down. Amen. All right, let's get the chicken before the egg and that type of thing. Let's reintroduce everybody to U.S. Center for Safe Sport. So tell me when it was created was it created by the government? Was it created by somebody else? Tell me how it all came to be, if you can. Sure. So we were opened in 2017, just a few short months after Larry Nasser was mm. put in jail. Um, and we were opened because, you know, the Olympic and Paralympic movement needed a reckoning. Okay. Um, and someone, some organization had to be able to um, finally put safety and well-being first. And that's why we were created. We were mandated and authorized by Congress um, in 2017 and to do three very specific things, right? One was to really develop educational content to make sure that athletes, coaches, and others within the movement understood how to re uh, respond to uh, recognize and ultimately report abuse. We were set up to develop policies and set rules on how to make safer sport environments. And probably what we're most known for is that we were put in place to investigate allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct within the movement and determine whether or not people should be able to remain. And so we're the only organization within the United States who has the power to remove people from sport. Um, and today we've got, I think, 2,055 people that are sitting on our centralized disciplinary database as a result of that. Incredible. As we're hearing the voice of Jarese Cologne, the CEO for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Champion Respect, and Abuse. How does somebody become 
the CEO of something this important. How does that work? <laughs> um, maybe I won the lottery. I don't know. <laughs> well, I like that answer. That means you love what you do. I do. I do. I have some tough days, um, but it's a great it's a great role. And you know, before I came to the Center for State Sport, I was vice president of Child and Club Safety at Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Okay. Prior to that, I spent 15 years at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and all this time really focusing on safety and well-being in lots of different environments. Um, and, you know, being able to kind of see, one, how child safety has changed over the last two decades, but also how technology has had a growing influence. And then being able to apply what I've learned over the last 20 or plus years to the sports environment, which was super new to me. Um, I am not an athlete. <laughs> and so I had to learn a lot and I continue to have to learn a lot. Um, but being able to kind of take what I've learned, see what I've seen, particularly in like youth, youth serving organizations and apply that to sport has been fantastic. When you become invested, and I'm guessing every case you're invested in some way, even though I'm, I know you have a ton of deputies probably working with you, but at some point you're kind of taking a look at it, and you see, particularly let's talk about the, 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 all the Nasser uh, young women who came forward yeah. and we heard their voices because their voices need to be heard. And, you know, they still got to live with it, but when you feel like they're getting through it, right, they're coming out on the other side of it, how does that make you feel? That's, I mean, it's kind of a simple question, but I still want to know. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, right, that anybody had to go through what they did. Um, and I don't know if you ever come out on the other side, mm. right, because it is, you have been violated mm. um, to your core, right? And so to know that we had institutions that stood by and let that happen is heartbreaking. But, you know, I think what has happened as a result of that, if, you know, they were super brave. They came forward and they're like, this is en enough is enough and we are coming up and we are letting you know that we will not tolerate this any longer. And I think it, it forced the nation and the world to really take a look at sport um, and take a look at what was tolerated and what wasn't. Um, and so to be able to be part of a movement that is saying not again um, and being able to put in pieces in place so that that won't happen again. And if there are instances of abuse that people have somewhere to go to that they can trust, like does to me that I guess that's the other side of it, right? Being able to be on that side. Um, but it's heartbreaking. You know, I, I talk to parents. Um, I talk to, to survivors. Um, I talk to people who go through our process. Some of them are, you know, um, still going through it and certainly, certainly grieving still. Um, it's never easy. It's never easy. But, you know, we try to do everything that we can to make that process um, as simple and as navigable as possible. But it's, it's hard. We're hearing the voice of Jerice Cologne, the CEO for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Champion Respect, and Abuse. You can learn more by going to uscenterforsafesport.org. You're back again at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. So you clearly realize that United Soccer Coaches has the best interests in mind for everybody, whether it's coaches or players. Talk about how you made the connection with United Soccer Coaches and realized that being at this convention was important to what you're doing. Yeah, so we were invited last year because there was a cohort that was being put together to really focus on safeguarding. Um, and it was the first time that we had a major national organization within the states that was really focused on that. Uh, and they invited us to be a part of that as they were moving their cohort through. And so we're back again this year to see those same people, but also be introduced 
introduced to the new people who are going through that process, but also starting to get more engaged in some of the other organizations and groups that come to this conference. Um, so, you know, I had the opportunity to meet with the commissioner of the NWSL this morning. My team is, is at a safeguarding uh, session all day. We've got some sessions tomorrow as well. So really trying to become more integrated in not only this conference, but also the soccer world, because, you know, it's no secret that we've gotten a lot of pushback from athletes um, who, uh, soccer players throughout this country who are, who want some changes, right? And who want to see some things that to be different. And so I'm here, one, to be part of this, but to also demonstrate that we're listening. Um, you know, we are really committed to getting this right. And so we need people's voices. We need athletes' voices. We need coaches' voices to really, you know, realize this whole um, change and evolution in culture, particularly in sport. This issue is personal to me on a couple levels. One, I've called gymnastics for the Big Ten Network for years. And actually right after they finally you know, put Nasser away, they didn't send us to East Lansing because of everything that was going on. And then I've also been the only voice of the North Carolina Courage, which when the NWSL stuff came out, it was really the coach of the North Carolina Courage at the time. And both of them were really hard to digest, right? Yeah. And I'm way far away from it. There's other people like me that are way far away from it, but we feel it. What's your advice to, to people like me who, you know, I do have a platform and a voice and I can use it. Like, what, what's your advice? You know, I, I love that you make it personal, right? Because anybody can talk about sports and anybody can talk about abuse, um, but you have to understand it to really feel the impact of it. And I think, you know, programs like yours are excellent platforms to not only talk about the the beauty, right, in sport and the beauty of soccer, but also talk about real issues that are impacting players every single day, issues that sometimes are difficult to talk about, like abuse. Um, and so, one, I would say, please keep doing what you're doing, um, because the more people that understand, you know, that you are, there is a place to report, that we are working on these issues, that they can contribute to that, is amazing. Um, the other piece is, you know, as you're thinking about um, how you approach sports, but whether you're an, an athlete or a coach, to always keep well-being in mind, right? I think it's easy to get wrapped up in winning. We all want to win, right? I'm not saying that we, we try to lose, because that's certainly not it. But to also to think about, as you are striving to be the best, that it's not just about that. Um, that we've got to really pay close attention to our athletes and how they are performing on and off the field. And a lot of the times that is making sure they're in safe environments, particularly now. Okay. So people are listening right now and let's say they're at a youth club and they are experiencing some abuse. It's not maybe not sexual, but it's mental abuse. Do you also help with that as well? And if if people are hearing this right now and they want help from U.S. Center for Safe Sport, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, exclusive jurisdiction over sexual abuse misconduct, okay. but we've got discretionary jurisdiction over emotional and physical abuse, okay. meaning that we take a lot of emotional and physical abuse cases from athletes. Um, and so everything from um, ongoing, um, just really bad 
just terrible behavior to, to bullying, right, between athletes. Um, and some of those cases we, we ask the local organizations to handle because they're best suited, but we spend a lot of time, our investigators spend a lot of time understanding what that looks like, um, and ultimately have removed several people from the movement because of their bad behavior. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a player and you're being berated every single day, or you're being deprived of certain things, like, that's not a pleasant environment for you to be in. And so we are a place um, to not only report that, but also to get resources, right, to identify it. Bullying behavior, emotional abuse, and misconduct is very gray. Um, it's very hard to define, and most people will say, "You'll, I'll know it when I see it. And so we've got a lot of resources. Specifically, we, we um, rolled out our uh, bullying prevention um, toolkit uh, a few months ago, which has some really great resources specifically for coaches and parents to be able to make that distinction um, and to know that, like, yes, this is indeed emotional abuse misconduct. I should report to the Center for Safe Sport. Wow, what a great breakdown here with Therese Cologne, who is the CEO for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. The website is uscenterforsafesport.org. I'm guessing this is nationwide, but like, is there an actual office somewhere or you just have people all over the country? So we're based in Denver, Colorado. Um, I've got about 130 staff. Uh, about half of them are in Denver. Uh, the rest of them are scattered across 20 other states across the U.S. Um, you know, we are a pretty remote workforce, which means that we're able to recruit um, and hire people from all across the country to support us. Also means that we can help serve people all across this country as well. Um, so we're, we're, we're everywhere, um, which is, which is kind of nice. We'll never be in a perfect world, but what's the closest to mm. perfect from where you sit as it relates to what you do at the U.S. Center for Safe Sport? You know, one of the things that I wish we had across this country in our, in our sport landscape is just consistency, right? We are we're, we're responsible for the Olympic and Paralympic movement, but that's not all sport, and that's certainly not all youth sport. And so in a perfect world, I would love to see other sports organizations, colleges and universities, NCAA, AAU, your local you know, soccer club that is in your community to be able to say, these are the, these are the rules, these are the policies we, we, we abide by, here's the education that we do. Um, we are committed to, to sport, to safety in sport because of these things. It doesn't have to be with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, but we wanna have consistency so that every kid who signs up for a game, who signs up for a team is going to be ex expecting the same sort of safe environment, right? It shouldn't just be those who are impacted by the Olympic and Paralympic movement because every kid who plays who plays sport, whether it's soccer or otherwise, deserves to be safe. I love that answer. My final question relates to the fact that earlier I interviewed Amanda Vandervoort, who's starting the Super League, which will be okay. another women's pro league, which will be D1, where their goal is to not only create a bigger platform for all these incredible women that are great soccer players, but to have more women coaches and more women GMs and women trainers and all of that. And I think all of that is pointing in the right direction for women. Am I right about oh that? Oh my gosh, yes. It is amazing to watch just as a spectator, but to know the impact that it's having on the sport community because other sports are watching, it's really incredible. Well, what you guys do is incredible and so important. I can't thank you enough. I'm so glad we got to run it back again. U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Champion Respect, End of Use, Therese Cologne, wonderful woman, the CEO. You can learn more by going to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport.org. Always enjoy spending time with you. Well done, Therese. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks so much.
I mentioned Amanda Vandervoort in the USL. Amanda was on last week from the USL. This week from the USL, Chris Busey, who heads up their DEI and so much more. Chris Busey, when we return. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, collecting amazing evergreen material as part of Medial Row at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, California, where we're meeting great people doing great things in the game. That definitely applies to Chris Busey, who is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, as well as Community Impact for the USL. We've also interviewed Amanda Vandervoort. We expect to interview Liam as well, but Chris, I've been dying to get you on the show, so good to get you here in, in Anaheim. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Dean. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, and congratulations on your award with the Black Soccer Coaches community. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now, so it's a pleasure to be on and uh, have this opportunity to engage with you around some of the items and things that we have moving with United Soccer League and the DEI space. Well, hearing that from you means even more. I've never been more proud to use my platform to try to make a difference. The event last year at the Legends event moved me in a way that I've never been moved. And Chris, I've been lucky enough to do the Olympics, the World Cup, direct communications for Major League Soccer. I consider it one of my best nights ever in, in, in soccer. And I'm so proud of where we are now, Absolutely. you know, and, and I believe progress is being made. Do you? I do agree that progress is being made. I was there last year and had a chance to experience it firsthand, very similar to you was very moved by what's going on. The work that the black soccer coaches community is doing, the co-Hercules did an excellent job, I think, of putting on that event. The co-Hercules is certainly a nucleus and it's able to bring multiple stakeholders from across the soccer community together. And we're seeing a lot of progress. She's the real deal. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the old thing, like when EF Hutton talks, people listen, you know, maybe that dates me, maybe you haven't heard that, but when she talks, People pay attention, you know, and the meter's being moved. Sure thing, absolutely. Nicole's a powerful person, an amazing individual, uh, moves from such a humanistic standpoint, and I think has the betterment of the game, but not just the game itself, but communities in mind with what she does. Well, and here's the cool thing. She loves what you're doing, right? Yes. She loves that there are opportunities created for diversity, equity, inclusion, which we're all looking for a better world where, you know, who cares what color our, our skin is. And so, you know, she's proud of you as well. You know that, right? I do know that. We met yesterday. We had a chance to talk. And I work very closely with Nicole, with Andrew Richardson, as well as with uh, the other coaches uh, communities, the API coaches community, the Native American coaches community. Uh, just to make sure that what I'm doing in my role is deeply connected and tied into what our coaches' communities are trying to do to not only promote culture and education, but again, to your point, make sure that multiple and diverse stakeholders have a say and influence in this game. 
here with Chris Busey with USL, the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Community Impact. Chris, I want to get back to the USL because if you know me well enough, you know I love the USL. I've been calling it forever and proud to be the voice of uh, North Carolina FC. We're going back to the USL That's Championship. Right. Uh, can't wait. And uh, But who's Chris Busey? Tell me about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Did you play soccer? What What's your story, my man? man it's, uh, where do I start? <laughs> um, start from the beginning. It's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, Nicole and I share similar roots. I was actually born in Rochester, New York. No uh, way. Yep, absolutely. Today's like Rochester Day. <laughs> <laughs> Lived in Rochester for the first eight years of my life. Unfortunately, I was diagnosed with childhood leukemia, which sort of sent me on a mission for chemotherapy treatment. Um, at the time, I don't want to date myself, but, you know, cancer research was not as advanced. And so I had to move kind of up and down the East Coast to make sure that I would receive appropriate treatment to be able to live and survive. So lived in D.C., Savannah, Georgia, but I call Florida home for the most part. I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Florida. Okay. Uh, soccer powerhouse back in the days. So, yeah. uh, they're, they're getting back to it right now. Abby Wambach, yeah, absolutely. Mets, Becky Burley. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. so a lot of roots uh, down in Florida. My journey into soccer is very unique. You know, cancer played a major role in my journey into soccer, so being in the hospital and receiving chemotherapy treatments and watching that 1994 World Cup mm. was transformative for me. Wow. And that's sort of what turned me on to soccer and really kind of, I would say, connected me to the sport. But the sport wasn't available in my community. Uh, growing up, I grew up in largely low-income, underserved, and under-resourced communities, and there wasn't club soccer there. My family didn't know how to really ensure that I would be plugged into a youth soccer club system. And so I grew up, once I was able to bounce back from leukemia after five years, playing primarily football, basketball, and baseball. But I've always had a love for soccer, have always been a student of the game. I've been a member of United Soccer Coaches actually for over 10 years. Wow. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So leukemia. You know, I just watched the John Baptiste documentary big-time talent, guy just won like six Grammy yep. Awards, incredible man. I don't know if you know his story, but his wife has had two bouts with leukemia. Did you know that? I did not. I've seen the trailer, but I haven't watched the documentary in detail yet. I literally just watched it like two days yeah. ago, which is kind of how my life works, you know, in a weird way, like not to have you here. Are you in full remission? Full remission. Okay. Yep. Wow. Did yep. you have to do bone marrow, or what did you have to do, Chris? Never received a bone marrow transplant. Okay. Yep. Full remission. Mm -hmm. And how many years has that been? I've been in remission since 97. Uh, kind of came out of remission briefly. Uh, they were able to attack, you know, the cancer and make sure that I would be fully healed. So, Wow. God bless you. How old were you when uh, you did that? I was diagnosed at eight years old. Wow. And so you don't even know, like, what's going on. Uh, uh, not a single clue. Not a single clue. Who helped you through it? <sighs> Family support. Yeah. Um, I, I truly think, you know, I'm a miracle. Um, I don't want to overstate that, but a lot of prayer, a lot of support, living in the Ronald McDonald house, because when we would have to transition homes for me to receive chemotherapy treatment, yeah, it involved a lot of moving. And so this is where I would say very early in my life, even though I didn't understand, this is how community comes together, right, to make sure that people who are battling whatever 
obstacles and challenges they have to overcome in life, when there's a group of people who are really dialed in to change and transformation, I really think it saves lives. And uh, I attribute me living now um, to that broader community of support. Wow, what an incredible story. And then along the way, you clearly realize there's a need to make sure that we have diversity, equity, and inclusion. So tell me how you kind of walked into that career and what did you do before you got this cool job with USL, which is, by the way, a power player right now. It so. is. It is the largest and fastest growing community, uh, soccer community in the United States. Amen. So prior to United Soccer League, I was uh, an associate professor of uh, critical race and ethnicity studies. Um, at the University of Florida. I was also at Texas State University uh, prior to my stint at the University of Florida. So I've lived primarily as a researcher and as an academic. Uh, again, uh, a long-term member of, of United Soccer Coaches, of the Black Soccer Coaches community. So I've always kept one foot in the soccer ecosystem as a coach. Um, again, uh, continue to be a student of the game. Once this opportunity with United, so uh, yes, with United Soccer League became available, uh, it was too good to pass up. Um, this was marrying two of my passions, a passion for racial equality, social equality, and social justice, uh, making sure that our systems in this country operate with diversity and inclusion and equity in mind with soccer. Um, I couldn't ask for a, a better platform to be able to engage this work. And remind me, because I feel like the USL maybe before Major League Soccer, I'm not sure, but formed kind of a black players union or what's the best way to describe that? Right. So we have United Black Players uh, with United Soccer League. I actually work very closely with United Black Players. We meet monthly. Sometimes we meet um, in between those scheduled monthly meetings. Uh, I work very closely with Brandon uh, Miller and Hugh Roberts as, as well as the entire executive team to make sure that they are enrolled in whatever it is that I'm doing in my role um, as VP of DEI at, at USL. All right, and paint a picture for me. You pay attention to MLS. It was incredible to see a black coach win it. Dante Washington, you yes. know, who's a, a key player who will be recognized uh, Saturday night at the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event. Paint a picture for the USL because, you know, I've taken a couple years down at USL League One, so now I got to ramp back up with USL Championship. I'm guessing the numbers aren't where we need them to be as far as coaches and and key players, black leaders in the USL, or is it? I mean, tell yeah. me where we are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this is a very uh, good point that you bring up. You know, I, I listened to Wilfred Nancy's interview uh, after the match in which he was asked about him being the first black coach to win the MLS Cup. And one of the things that he said was, well, he said multiple things that I think stood out was he's proud of it. However, he doesn't want to treat this as the norm. And he understands that there is a broader collective of, of coaches from racially minoritized and diverse backgrounds who are able to contribute to this game. And uh, he's spot on with that. Uh, when you look at United Soccer League, uh, very similar, I think, to the broader and global soccer landscape, this is a global issue. And uh, multiple stakeholders are trying to come together to figure out what are some of the change levers that we have to pull to make sure that we are addressing this issue in terms of the lack of diversity in the coaching ranks as well as the senior executive ranks. So I've been working very closely with the team internally. Uh, Liam has been a part of that team, Sarah Brady, uh, Carrie Taylor, Jason Collister, 
um, our entire senior executives have very have been very involved in making sure that one uh, we're creating common understanding of, of what the issues are uh, what are the root causes of these issues and then two really trying to strategize about how we can be a more inclusive and diverse ecosystem and make sure that both the bench as well as the boardroom is representative of the communities that we're serving. Well, and then make no mistake, on the playing field, there are a ton of great black soccer players now playing in the USL. In fact, even North Carolina FC, I mean, like it seems like every other signing is a, you know a, an outstanding black athlete, Absolutely. which I'm super excited about. Yeah. That representation is pretty good, right? It is. It is. We do serve a very diverse ecosystem and you know, a part of my role in, in this first year has been trying to gain an understanding of who is actually in our ecosystem. And so part of driving DEI efforts and initiatives at the league level, they're definitely concerned with some of the programmatic uh, interventions that we can create. But two, it's also about creating a structure. Are we collecting the data uh, to make sure that we understand who our communities are, what they look like, what their interests are, what their needs are, align that with our player pool and really try to work intentionally to make sure that our front office as well again our, our technical staff is reflective of that player pool as well as the community um, and so we've been again knee deep into the work i can't tell you how many hours uh, we have spent uh, engaging in research uh, we do try to lead from a data-informed perspective as well as making sure that we're equipped with the paradigms and the frameworks necessary to understand, again, what the issues are and how we could best go about solving those issues. But we're very excited. Soon, upcoming, we'll be launching, I would consider it a groundbreaking initiative, which we're terming USL Forward. And there will be more news to come about that um, that will detail how we're trying to level the playing field in the DEI space. Chris Busey, I am delighted that you shared your story, including, like you said, becoming a miracle, overcoming leukemia uh, is just fantastic. This next question and my final question is not an easy one, but take your time processing it. You know, as the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion and community impact, knowing where you sit right now, Chris, what's like a perfect world, okay? So, you know, you wake up one day, like, what's, what's a perfect world as it relates to what you do? Uh, that's a great question, Dean. You know, I always say a perfect world would be where my position would not need to exist, mm. uh, where we wouldn't need to continue to have these conversations wow. and consistently have to strategize around this. I would say that would be a perfect world. Now, obviously, I'm employed and I want to stay employed, but ideally, we would get to a place where we would move from a humanistic standpoint, where we would understand that our game and our society is better off when all voices are included at the table. And that's not just from a business perspective in, in terms of ensuring that people are provided with job opportunities, but from a community perspective as well. When our communities are whole, healthy, happy, and united, it helps solve a lot of the issues that we currently see around divisiveness and fractures, right, that currently exist in our society. So I think if we could get to the point where, again, we are always intentionally thinking about this, having this at the front of mind, that would be an ideal world. Phenomenal answer. Phenomenal. Thank from, you, Dean. from the bottom of my heart. If uh, people want to help you or know more, like, 
what do you recommend? Go to the USL website, or what are you thinking? Again, uh, please go to the USL website. Uh, you can connect with me through email. We have some exciting um, initiatives and programs that we're building out. We want to make sure that all coaches are aware of what we're building out because, again, we're concerned about pathways and not pyramids, right? We want to create those opportunities from the players to, to transition into coaching roles as well as front office roles. So please connect with me through the USL website. Um, I look forward to uh, hearing these inquiries and responses that we'll get not only to this podcast interview, but again, to some of the initiatives that we're building out that I think will truly make some structural and systematic and systemic change. Wow, somebody's that been around a long time to hear that phrase pathways instead of pyramid when everybody, all they ever wanted to talk about was pyramid is fantastic. Absolutely. Chris Busey, Vice President, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Community Impact for the United Soccer Leagues, a league that I'm proud to represent as a TV voice and uh, proud to represent as the voice of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Congratulations, Chris. Uh, so you, glad Dave. to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank All you. right. Chris Busey battled through leukemia and now has this all-important role with the USL. Really enjoyed that interview. Hope you did as well. Speaking of great interviews, our final interview of this week's podcast is Ashley Allenson, who's part of the Ohio U Masters in Coaching Education Program, and they even do some undergrad work there. I mean, they do it all, and then he also helped out Aaron Rodgers and the Ohio U Women's Soccer Team, who won their first MAC championship by way of England. Ashley Allenson, he is a cool dude. He wraps up the show after this message. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, collecting incredible evergreen material on Podcast Row as part of the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, meeting incredible people. Of course, uh, when you listen to the show, you know that uh, I'm from Ohio. You know that I'm a proud Bobcat with Ohio University. You know that Dr. Dave Carr was uh, key in developing the Masters in Soccer Coaching Education. And he now has Ashley Allenson, who is the cohort facilitator for the Masters in Soccer Coaching Education at Ohio University, at my alma mater in Athens. And great to be with you, Ashley. Great to be here. Obviously, you've got the accent. We're going to get to that. But... Tell me the good and the bad of living in Athens, Ohio. There's not much bad, I'll be honest with that. It's all, all right. good. Um, so I came over in 2017 um, for, the, for the job as an assistant professor of instruction. And I'll never forget my kind of first time in Athens for the job interview when I fell in love with the place. So I'm very, very fortunate to have been offered the job, being here for, for seven years and even more kind of honored 
the last three seasons, I was the volunteer assistant coach for the women's soccer team in, in Athens at Ohio University. No way. And in 2023, for the first time in history, we was able to, to win the MAC championship. So it's been a, a fantastic ride, and, and I'm very fortunate to be a professor at the university. So you work with Aaron Rodgers? I do, yes. All uh, right. I was very, very close, and, and, and we... we kind of connected when I first got there because I went around all the different teams and um, the American football team the basketball team but obviously soccer is my background from England and I connected with him straight away and we kind of created a friendship and then in 2021 he invited me to be a part of his program and um, he wanted it, this program to be elevated from a coaching perspective and um, so he offered me a volunteer assistant coaching role which I was able to manage with everything that I do as my professor role and give back to the, the Ohio University community through service and it's been an incredible three seasons. I've learned so much. I've been able to impact the students in our program through it and I've also been able to help the, the, the program itself through my coaching role to, to be MAC champions which is a, an incredible honour. Yeah, how cool is that? Because we already know the Masters in Soccer Coaching Education is truly one of a kind, and the fact that it runs through Athens, but the fact that you're a coach and then also are able to join Aaron. I mean, you talk about doubling down. It probably doesn't feel like work because you love what you do. Oh, it's so much fun. It's, it's incredible, and that's why I came to, to the U.S. From, from England for using my background to try and educate them coaches and, and get them to elevate their levels but then being able to do that myself as a as a current coach and then give back to the Ohio University student community in our masters in coaching and masters in soccer coaching um, online program was able to really kind of showcase examples specific examples of what we can do in a in a really high level environment for them to then go and try that in their own environments in their own context with their own players Brilliant. So who is Ashley Allenson? Where are you from? Where did you play? What position did you play? Give me some background. Background, okay. So I'm originally from Hull um, in the northeast England, and I grew up playing football and soccer, and I was very fortunate at eight years old to be signed by Hull City, Hull City Tigers, who at the time was kind of in the lower regions of, of the divisions in, in England. I went through their whole academy, um, I had a brief stint where I'd moved at 13 to, to Leeds United Academy. Um, bit of a name drop here, played with James Milner and Aaron Lennon, who both represented England um, in that age group. At 16, came back to Hull, um, signed a, a, youth team a youth team scholarship contract, as they called them, for three years in 2003. Um, worked as a, a professional young soccer player. Unfortunately, didn't get a contract um, at the end of that for a professional as... The club went from League Two to League One to the Championship. So at 19 years old, I was very fortunate to, to move on from Hull and sign for Scunthorpe United and sign my first professional contract. Made my first team debut at 19 against Brentford um, in the League One. Made a handful of appearances, couple of injuries, didn't perform as well as I could have. Two years after my uh, playing professional contract came for renewal, they got promoted to the Championship. Um, with Billy Sharp, who was uh, obviously at the LA Galaxy recently, um, scoring a lot of goals and kind of put himself on the map. And unfortunately, they didn't renew my contract. And at 21 years old, I had a bit of a life decision to make. Do I still go follow the dream and try and be a pro? Um, and I got offered a semi-professional contract at the, in a non-league um, environment. at the, the It was at that time called the Blue Square Conference, uh, which Wrexham have just been promoted from a couple of years ago. So that was the level I was playing at for a couple of years. But my, my parents were like, well, if you're playing semi-professional and part-time, you need to do something else. So I 
went to school. I went to University of Hull and I got a sports coaching and performance degree for three years. Um, I started coaching at the Hull City Academy, working with the, the U9, U10 age group and then went there for part-time for 10 years, working from all the way from the 18s to the, to the under eights, a different age group every season, which was a phenomenal education, a phenomenal um, experience that I got from kind of cutting my teeth at the elite youth level. And then after I graduated my undergrad at University of Hull, I was very fortunately offered a PhD opportunity. And I was kind of a UEFA B coach and I get this PhD opportunity and I kind of said, what's a PhD? And they said, it's a doctorate. Um, and I'd never thought about kind of education. Obviously, I only wanted to be a professional soccer player, play soccer all my life, and I could do a PhD in coaching. Um, so I, I, took, I snapped the hand off, and it was a great way for me to get educated. I did a four-year PhD at the University of Hull, and then all of a sudden I kind of finished that process. I was played semi-professional. Four years, I was getting a bit older, my legs were going, I was going down the levels. And then it came to a stage in my life where coaching was now my career and, and playing wasn't anymore. And I was a big advocate of learning and developing as a coach myself, but also going through different coaching education systems through the FA licenses and obviously through the, the university structure was how do we learn to be coaches? And this was something that I had a lot of passion about, especially related to soccer. And then Ohio University had this job opening through Dr. David Carr as an assistant professor of instruction in Athens. And I applied for the job. And, and in 2017, I came to Athens. And now I've been here seven years, and it's fantastic. That's amazing. Do you remember how grueling was the interview process? Was it <laughs> multiple stages? or? Uh, yeah, so it was interesting because we did a Skype this before Zoom and things. Uh, so we did a Skype call. And I remember, getting, I remember applying for the job in, in kind of... I think it was November, but in hearing, apart from an email from Dave, um, one time just to say, we've got your application, we look forward to reviewing it. After that, I didn't hear anything till kind of like March. And I, I didn't realize it took so long to, for the interview process for, for faculty in the university settings. Yeah. So what had occurred was um, I, got a, I woke up one morning to an email, obviously with a time difference, that they wanted a Skype call at, at kind of 3 p.m. or whatever that day. And I was kind of like, wow, I've got, I've got to get on a call after I finish my day job. Mm. Um, and at the time, I was working as a teacher um, at kind of like a, a it's like a, a DUCOS, we'd call it in England, a, 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 a community college, favor education. And so I finished my, my day job. I was coaching on the night at Hull. So I rushed straight into uh, back home, got on kind of like a, a, a Skype call, did went through that. They then offered me to come out to the US for, for a job interview, kind of like two weeks later. Luckily it was during Easter, so in England we get like a two week period off at Easter. So I was able to kind of not tell my job where I was at so I could fly over to America for a week. Um, and then I was able to kind of do the, do the job interview. It's funny during the, the job interview, I remember landing in Columbus airport and driving down the 33 to Athens. And it was a really drizzly, awful, typical English day. And as I arrived into Athens, this is the crazy story. The sun just shone on Athens. And I was like, this place looks pretty special. And wow. the first thing I did, I pulled into Peden Stadium, the American football stadium, yeah. and started walking around the campus yeah. on the night before my interview. And I was like blown away by the facilities, blown away by the vibe. And then the next day from 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. was just constant back to back. I had to do a teaching presentation. I had to be interviewed by Dr. David Carr and all the other faculty. 
and I must have done a good enough job because two weeks later they, they hired me and I literally moved to America from England with two suitcases and a little one-bedroom apartment on Richland Avenue yeah. and kind of just reset my life at 30 years old and seven years later, I look back now and I'm married to an Athenian. Um, she works wow. at, the, at the local high school, Athens High School, yeah. uh, which famously Joe Burrow. I was going to ask was, if she's related to Joe Burrow or not. No, The, the Burrows actually live in our neighborhood. All so right. she, she knows Jimmy and Robin and she, she actually, fam quite a funny story, she uh, taught Joe as, a, as an aide in his class when he was in high school. And they follow each other on Instagram, and he likes the story. So that so when I'm talking to the girls, uh, the women in, in the team, I kind of get them to fangirl a little bit for those from Cincinnati, mm -hmm. saying that, oh, my wife knows Joe Burrow, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm a massive Bengals fan as oh, well. Fantastic. Massive. So love Joe Burrow. Everybody loves yeah, Joe Burrow. And the does. fact that he's from Athens is incredible. We're here with Ashley Allenson, the cohort facilitator for the Masters in Soccer Coaching Education at my alma mater, Ohio University, which is just absolutely brilliant. Love that uh, you love Athens. Uh, that place is, you know, very special to me in so many ways, Ashley. And, you know, at the end of the day, our outgoing president, Dr. Dave Carr, as you mentioned, Really, the man who, who put it all together. What can you say about uh, what he's met? He's, he's the legacy that we're trying to now, that I'm trying now to, to fulfill. And he, listening to his presidential speeches, and you realize the impact Ohio had on him. He had the first opportunity to create something like this, and he did a, a general coaching education program, which I still teach in on campus. He then created the online coaching education program for to, to get out into the world. And then obviously because of his passion of soccer, he wanted to create a bespoke soccer coaching education program to educate coaches. And listening to his speeches this week, it's been incredible to see his journey and how he's done everything within the coaching levels. But really his passion was educating coaches and being able to be a part of his legacy at Ohio that give him the opportunity to create this is something that I'm very proud of. And knowing how proud he is of it, I know it's in my steps and the rest of the and, and the rest of the faculty that it's up to us to continue that legacy. So we've got to keep getting students in, we've got to keep educating them at the highest level and ultimately we've got to create the best and help create the best coaches out there in the US, in the world to continue doing fantastic things in this unbelievable sport that has given us so much and now we want to give back for the next generations coming through and I'd say that's the biggest thing from Dr. David Carr he's now handed the baton if you like for the next generation of educators which is myself and my job is now to educate the next generation of coaches Awesome, this is great love that you've got the Ohio U jacket on, you guys gave me an Ohio U ball that I'll be able to bring back and by the way when I was in college Peden Stadium you know, the Ohio U band, like, rocked it. Yes. Um, I think my four years there, the football team maybe won four games, by oh, the wow. way. The basketball team was good. In fact, Dave Jamerson would go on to play in the NBA, and he was actually my main journalism project. I kind of projected where he was going to get picked, which is kind of neat, I think. And then the awesome. other story I want to tell you that I think you'll appreciate, I believe you when you say you love Athens. In 2014, the World Cup was in Brazil, and then the director of coaching education, Ian Barker, I don't know if you've heard yes, that I've name. Yeah, I've met Ian very okay. well, yeah. So Ian said, hey, uh, we're going to bring coaches over to Europe. We're not going to go to Brazil, but we're going to go to Holland because they were in it. We're going to go to Belgium because they were in it. We're going to go to Germany. They won it. Belgium was that great game against the yes. USA. And we're going to go to France. So 
he said, Dean, what we want to do is be able to archive it with video and interviews and that type of thing, because we were embedded. We were embedded with the French FA, the German FA, Belgium FA, and then we went to IX, and I mean, we, we did it all. Love it. And so what I did is I came into Ohio U as a proud graduate. I interviewed 83 people. I picked 12. 11 of them said yes. We went over there, we filmed it, we did everything, and I'm telling you, all 11 are like megastars now. Brilliant. One's like a big social influencer, one's a big deal at TMZ, one's a big deal at the PGA. I mean, it's endless. All 11 are amazing. A couple went and worked for my wife, who works in hospitality for the Super Bowl and that type of thing. Awesome. Um, so it's amazing how, you know, little things like that can make such a big difference, and Ohio U gets it, you know, so. I, I think one of the things on that, Dean, is, and this is something that I got coming in from um, the UK, which is a very different vibe to, to the university life, but coming over, the, the Bobcat connection is all around everywhere. And right? yeah. even anyone that walks past our um, kind of booth and that's a, a Bobcat alum, they're all like, oh, you. And then we're like, oh, yeah. And it's just <laughs> part of the process and go Bobcats. Yeah. And the, the first, I'll never forget my orientation in my first day on campus. There was professors and those people talking to the incoming faculty. And there was a room about 50 incoming faculty. And they said that you once you get kind of hooked into this place, it's around forever and, and it's part of you. And one of the things that we try to do, because obviously our online students don't get to be in Athens, this special place in Southeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. So what we've got to try to do is bring Athens to them through the way that we deliver our program. Nice. And I think one of the things is that once they become an alumni, we are trying to continuously promote that they are part of Ohio University, even if they've never stepped foot on Athens. Nice. Now, the beauty of what's happened over the last few years from my perspective is these people have started to graduate from our program. And because we've promoted Athens so much in the course, they come to Athens for graduation, experience and it, and they yeah. walk. And to me, that's the biggest kind of like reward mm -hmm. because we've impacted them so much, not only for our program and the education that they get, that they feel Ohio University, that they're willing to travel from all over the world to come to Athens to graduate and feel that experience. And you think about some of the kind of alumni that come through Ohio University, but one alumni that's come through kind of our program was actually Vlatko. And I know he didn't have the best successful time as the US women's soccer coach, right. but we're very proud that he's an Ohio alumni. Absolutely. Because I don't think he would have potentially ever got that job without maybe some of the little bit of education that he got from our program. Well and that's, that's huge for us as a, as a program that's just trying to educate um, coaches in a way that's different to the licenses. Dr. Allenson, adding to that story, I'm proud to tell you that I get to call several ECNL national selection games and regional selection games. And the first one that I called was a regional selection game and this young gal named Sonia Deering had a blinder of a game. Her parents came up to me afterwards and said, hey, thanks for all the nice things you were saying. And long story short, I discovered that she wanted to go to Ohio University. I reached out to Aaron Rodgers and just so you know, she'll be a part of the 2024 class for Ohio U and certainly wish her well. Ashley Allenson, who is with the 
Ohio University Masters in Soccer Coaching Education. He is the cohort facilitator, and by way of England, he's made Athens home, married an Athens woman. That's awesome. Ashley, love it. Thanks for uh, bringing Ohio U to me here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. No, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to uh, kind of just give you my kind of background and also promote the program, and, and it's something that, for me, I'm very passionate about, as all our faculty are, and as everyone is here at the convention just to try and educate coaches. And this is just done in a different way, a more in-depth, detailed, holistic process of coaching. Um, and we want to try and continue the legacy of Dr. David Carr, who created this. Boom. Ashley Allenson with the amazing Ohio U Masters in Soccer Education courses. And as he said, helping out with the OU women's soccer team and their head coach, Aaron Rodgers. As a side note, as we say goodbye, when we were done, I was able to tell Ashley that my cousin, who's like a sister to me, who actually also went to Ohio U, her stepson is on the Ohio U wrestling team now. So I wrote a note to Drew Lincecum and Ashley Allenson, a man of his word, actually delivered it to Drew Drew took a picture of the note that said, you know, work hard, that type of thing. And he sent a picture to me. And lo and behold, this airs on Thursday. I found out a couple days ago from my cousin Stacy that Drew wants to get involved in Ashley Allenson's program at the undergrad level. And then already is thinking about the master's level. And he's on the Ohio U wrestling team. So good things happen at the convention in all kinds of ways. And Ashley Allenson is a good person making good things happen as well. Speaking of good people, I want to thank all the great people at United Soccer Coaches. Especially want to thank my main man, Brandon Milburn, who's moving on from United Soccer Coaches. Going to miss you, Brandon. I hope you'll keep in touch. Also want to thank all the other great people at United Soccer Coaches and especially want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.